everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Nunes is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyon. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Indiana Tilt. Well, I guess they can tie in the solve zone, but they also turn the ball over a lot. Um, they still can't beat Syracuse basketball, which is nice. Um, Never so that again. That's the, that, that was the price we paid for 87. Yes. Or well, the price they paid, I guess. Yeah, we'll, but... we'll lose this game and no other games ever. <laughs> And again, like they probably got the better of the trade, but you know we might as well uh, keep benefiting from whatever deal with the devil that Bobby Knight signed, you know, thirty something years ago. <laughs> I would agree there. Um, happy, uh, happy Mets week. It's, it's happy Mets week. Happy, happy Steve Cohen doing the things that we expected him to do, but he hadn't really done yet, except for the Lindor trade. Um, yeah. Wow. Like I, you know, to to dive in slightly into Mets talk for a bit here. Um, Certainly, when I saw the Scherzer stuff, uh, considering all of the buzz around Scherzer vis-a-vis the Mets uh, was that he absolutely didn't want to play for them and, like, specifically uh, outlined them as, like, a team that he would enforce his new trade for and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I guess $43 million a year speaks. Who knew? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I could speak to anyone. I, I would play for the Mets for $43 million a year. I, I, think, I think anyone would. Uh, <laughs> It's pretty great. We'll, we'll leave it at that. I, I think you'll hear plenty more Mets talk um, throughout the offseason and, and, and especially, you know, early next year um, as, as the team suddenly becomes a legitimate player um, in baseball and, uh, and, and a competitor for the World Series on potentially an annual basis, which I would very much love to see after, after many decades of suffering. That would be great. I would totally take it. Indeed. Speaking of suffering, uh, Syracuse football decided to lose the final three games in resounding fashion, as we probably predicted would happen. Uh, they finished five and seven. It's rough because obviously we lost three straight games by, uh, you know, a single possession. So not great if any of those go the other way. SU finished at six and six, and we're having a different conversation here. At the same time, uh, we had two games decided very late. And if we lose both of those games, we're three and eight. And then, well, three and nine, sorry. And everyone's wondering why Dino wasn't fired. So... Keep everything in perspective there. Dino went and made uh, three staffing changes immediately uh, following the season on Sunday. Uh, Vince Reynolds um, out as D-line coach. Uh, Reno Ferry out as tight ends coach. And uh, Sterling Gilbert, the most important one there, um, out as offensive coordinator after two years of a a pretty decrepit attack overall uh, on his end. Dan, I I think we all would have felt better if the order of this had been Gilbert first and then the other two. At the same time, I'm really not sure why Reynolds was fired other than somebody needed to go on the defensive side, I guess. Yeah, the Reynolds thing is kind of interesting. Not to, you know, I think the the, the Gilbert thing is the most important. It's the OC. It's an OC who's been largely uh, ineffective the last two years. Um, and also an OC who uh, doesn't really make sense moving forward if we're going to kind of go into Garrett Schrader world for the foreseeable future or even just flirt with Garrett Schrader world while developing um justin lampson who uh probably isn't as uh run heavy as schrader but possesses some of the same skills and same frame um jacoby morgan's probably a little more pocket based but like if we're if we're you know i think for the foreseeable future the uh babers uh tenure hinges on in all likelihood schrader being like taking a big step forward next year which we can't rule out like he was certainly really effective early on when teams didn't really know how to prepare for it. Obviously that waned significantly down the stretch, but obviously Schrader is a run heavy quarterback. Um, the offense at its best 
uh, kind of resembled something like uh, an option attack without like always being, you know, obviously there was read option involved, but um, just in terms of like the style and the fact that you had to constantly pay attention to two uh, run heavy players. Um, it kind of resembled that in terms of, of how the offense like realistically worked. Um, so it didn't really make any sense to keep uh, Gilbert who uh, was coming from a much different system than that. I, in my opinion, like, you kind of need to go find someone who's going to be able to work with the talent that we have. Um, and trying to shoehorn uh, Schrader into a different system doesn't make any sense. Trying to, you know, pretend like Gilbert's going to all of a sudden, you know, start running uh, really advanced spread option concepts doesn't make a lot of sense. So let's go, like, get someone who can really make this work as a pairing and uh, with Babers. So um, hopefully that's what we'll see. Uh, obviously, there's a couple, like, some stuff's been floated so far, but. Uh, It'll be fascinating because I think we've seen Babers kind of go into his well uh, for coaches he's comfortable with. Uh, Gilbert was one of those. Um, I, I am very fascinated to see if the next person comes from a much different background um, and has like different experiences with those kind of players versus like the Tommy DeVito type players that we were trying to build around earlier. Yeah, I mean that's the tough part here is like do you do you go get a do you go get someone that has a lot of experience with a, a, a dual threat? quarterback or, or in, I think in our case here a running quarterback uh do you bring in someone who's more of a quarterback guru who can at least help Schrader come along better as a passer because then realistically he has to run less and he's a more effective player overall and it makes it easier to run the ball with Sean Tucker and others at the backfield uh, I, I I think that there's you know I, I think the the answer that most people seem to be gravitating toward um is Kent State's Andrew Souter um formerly of the Dino Tree um back when they were at Bowling Green. Uh, Souter did not join uh, with most of the rest of the Falcons crew uh, when Babers came on in 2016. Uh, he's now the OC at Kent State under Sean Lewis, who did come along. I, so I, I think most people have him on the list because uh, there's some continuity. There's you know some hope that, that he brings kind of the, the Lewis magic that, that I think was a big part of the first couple seasons um, of Babers' tenure at Syracuse and brings that along with him. Um, I, I know for me, I mean, one name that I tossed out there was, uh, you know, Matt Mummy, son of Hal Mummy, offensive coordinator and QB coach at Nevada. I'd be interested in seeing what that looked like because, you know, Western Kentucky has, has a couple guys on staff who have quarterback experience with guys who are dual threats, guys who are traditional uh, pocket passers. I don't think we want to make Trader a pocket passer to your point, but um, wouldn't be the worst idea to bring in someone who just at least has experience developing um, Passers. You know, Anthony Tucker um, over at Utah State's another name um, that I've kind of thrown out there, as well as uh, Kevin Johns um, over at Memphis. Though I do think that Johns is a much he has enough experience at this point leading Memphis that that, that I think that uh, he's likely to head somewhere bigger than SU. And with so many jobs open, um, it would seem likely that his name gets called. Yeah, I thought you put together a pretty strong list. Souter made so much sense, um, and I know I immediately am like, he's like the one guy where it is a Babers person, but his experience is both under Sean Lewis, who obviously helmed uh, the better, uh, or many of the better Babers offenses, um, but also the fact that Kent State's offense uh, looks closer to what we expected from Babers offenses uh, from the Bowling Green days. Like Dustin Crum, who's their extremely uh, efficient, effective quarterback, um, is a bigger thrower than Schrader, threw for, you know, 2,800 yards this year, 15 touchdowns, only four interceptions. Um, but he also was a pretty prolific runner. He ran for 565 yards, third on the team. He ran for 11 touchdowns. Um, I, you know, I don't think he's quite a Schrader-style player, but 
Souter clearly has experience kind of developing an offense where you have a, a quarterback who's a major running threat. And then they also had uh, a 1,000-yard rusher in Marquez Tuper. They had a 700-yard rusher in Xavier Williams. Um, it just seems like the kind of profile of an offense that's super well-balanced and can do a lot of damage through both uh, facets that we want to kind of model ourselves around with Sean Tucker and Schrader in the backfield. So um, while, I mean, he has the benefit of being a Babers guy, and it wouldn't shock me at all if he's the guy, but also I think um, his offenses under Lewis are far closer to what we also want, just removed from the fact that he has that Babers experience too. So um, if he's like the guy, you know, I think I'd be very comfortable with that. It makes a lot more sense than Gilbert did, to be honest. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I think he's probably the clubhouse favorite. Um, but I, I like the, some of the names. Kevin Johns has obviously been around for a while. Memphis's offenses have been really, really dynamic. Western Kentucky was really good this year, so I, I appreciate seeing those guys, though. I think they're, you know, that's much more of a like a cultural like splash trying to really change stuff. Um, but it'll be fascinating. I mean, how Matt Mummy would be the same, too. Obviously, any Mummy name is going to get attention. Um, that would be going probably to- closer to the, the spread roots, although, as you noted, Carson Strong is like, one of the best tall, uh, quarterbacks in college football, a potential first-round pick. Um, so he could certainly probably elevate the game. But I do think we need to kind of tailor things to Schrader's strengths. And I also think, like, Babers kind of needs to do that, too. Like, it's really nice to think about developing a quarterback over years and whatnot, but he needs to win six games next year. Like, really, we need to win six right. games next year, which is yeah. really tough with a schedule that is not not really uh, lined up well for it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was going to – weigh in on that at some point on the site but uh it, it, it's a pretty tough season i don't necessarily see anything like it's not like i couldn't see six wins but i think three wins is a more realistic benchmark um for next year and really if it's three wins then he's out and if there's any if there's a doubt that you know can win six next year then you might as well pay up and move on this offseason i i think that dino understands how tough the schedule is next year with, with both purdue and notre dame on his p5 opponents uh, a pretty, you know, challenging schedule, really, home and away. Uh, not not the ideal situation you're looking for um, if you're Syracuse. And I think that really, like, you do need to win six games next year, and that largely means getting this OC higher right immediately out the gate um, without any time for, like, ramp up. So hopefully we see, you know, a higher made soon. It'd be great to make an impact on the recruiting trail, given how few – um, commits we have so far this year, which is 10. Uh, we, we keep losing players via uh, transfer portal. I know everyone's losing players, but we're losing more than most. Um, I forgot which site is tracking that, but right now I know we have the most transfers. Um, Oklahoma could end up taking that title soon, potentially, but I know we have the most transfers right now. I think with uh, it's up to 12 since uh, since like the beginning of August with um, today, Wednesday, um, names added to that list for the Orange. Uh, Luke Benson, who that should surprise no one, um, given how little tight end positions been used the last two years. And then uh, Adrian Cole, a cornerback, who played quite a bit um, this year for Syracuse. And that's actually uh, more surprising and a big bummer, uh, because I do think, especially if, like, if Garrett Williams heads out, um, that's going to be a spot that now is, is very, very inexperienced um, in, in his absence. Uh, the Cole one was definitely more surprising. Also, I thought he played like fairly well and was in a place where like there's a lot of recent examples of defensive backs getting an opportunity to like do really good things. So it was disappointing. Um, Benson, unfortunately, not very disappointing or not very not very surprising. Definitely disappointing uh, based on the just like really abandonment of the tight ends over these last couple of years. Um, you know, there were occasional flares and like every time he got his hands on the ball, it looked like it would be something huge. Last year, he didn't really. 
got the opportunity this year, only caught five passes for 22 yards. Um, so yeah, super, super disappointing. Um, and his usage has just waned over the last two years. So don't blame him at all for going to try to find, uh, find an opportunity for his next, his last, uh, two or three years here. Yeah. So it, it's, it's certainly something that needs to be addressed. Uh, obviously the recruiting class is also not like this super stopped thing. And we're only a couple of weeks away now from the early signing period. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think necessarily, uh, I don't think we're in like a, a, a great position for like long-term building the program up right now. But the most important thing is to like win games next year. So, uh, I, you know, ultimately, hopefully we hit the transfer portal pretty hard and, and try to bring some guys in with the promise of playing time and, and you know, figure out how to, how to hodgepodge together a really nice season because otherwise we're going to be uh, starting from scratch all over it anyway. And then, then all the like, future recruiting classes and stuff, you know, everything kind of uh, hits the reset button as it is. Yeah, I mean, we're already kind of hitting the reset button right now. And there's like 61 ga- 61 scholarship players on the roster right now. Um, I think that probably ends up going down a little bit more. We still have to hear about a couple guys who could graduate. So definitely more transfers that could happen uh, in the coming weeks as well. And you can also only add so many guys in, in a given um, year. So you have to start getting creative with gray shirts. Uh, and, and the like to really fill out, you know, an 85-man roster for next year. Uh, most teams aren't in this sort of situation just because um, as many teams have lost as much talent to the portal as we have in, in the last, you know, 12 months or so. Um, most teams are actually well over the mark um, for scholarship limits, um, you know, a- after last season, given the, you know, extra eligibility for, for COVID and all that. So SU's in an unenviable spot, one we can potentially get out of, um, but it's going to take some effort. Uh, Dan, I don't know about you. I'd like to see, um, you know, a, a big wide receiver added. I'd love to see a quarterback of some sort added in the transfer portal as well. Um, we're going to have to hit the portal for at least one defensive lineman, um, depending on what happens with um, Mikel Jones and, and the NFL draft. You probably need to look for one there as well. Uh, and, and then maybe another corner, um, depending on if Garrett Williams leaves or not. Um, but at the same time, I know we definitely have, um, some young corners um, in, in this coming class, at least currently committed. At the same time, though, you know, you, you can't just replace a guy like Garrett Williams or even Adrian Cole, uh, like the guaranteed, like out the box with, with a brand new freshman in 2022. Yeah. I mean, like, you're not going to have a bunch of deuce chestnuts walk in that can play right away and, and, you know, have like all ACC caliber games as a freshman. Like we've been really, really lucky to find a lot of those guys, but you know, eventually you're going to have like more standard development players coming through. So um, definitely not the most enviable position. Hopefully, hopefully they can keep something cobbled together and, and hopefully they're just like, they can't be shy about the transfer portal on the other end of it. Like they have to be as aggressive as humanly possible. Um, bringing oh, guys yeah. in. We need a kicker because Andre Schmidt's gone now. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, that. I mean, well, Schmidt Schmidt is uh, he has another year, doesn't he? He had another year of eligibility. I don't know if he's going to take it. Um, That's or somewhere else, or if he's just going to um, go to the NFL. I don't. I don't know if he's necessarily on NFL radars anymore. Uh, at least I think team. he probably needs another big year. To be honest, like, I like. I think Schmidt always had like a limited NFL ceiling because. He is so much more accurate inside the 50, and it's hard to sell NFL teams on guys who don't have the leg to hit those long field goals. Right. Um, so I think he kind of needs to come back. I mean, and unfortunately for him, he's had all the opportunity in the world to try to hit the long ones. It, we weren't putting him in a position to hit like the to, to do much else after 2018. So 
Um, you know, hopefully he comes back. I still think, you know, he can be a reliable kicker if we put him in good opportunities. The problem is the offense is stalling out so far, uh, so often. And Babers, you know, especially early in the year, was playing so conservatively with those decisions that we kind of put Schmidt in a bad, bad position. And also kickers across, like, all levels are super finicky from year to year. So, um, you know, hopefully he comes back and puts together a nice season after, like, a disappointing 2019 uh, uh, or 2020 um, stretch here. But, you know, it's it's tough to know. I mean, I won't really blame him for anything because, you know, even if he doesn't have, like, a great NFL um, outlook, like, some guys just don't want to do the college football thing anymore after four years. I, I, you know, and that's totally understandable. Yeah, I don't blame him. I mean, based on the uh, Keys football Twitter and Instagram posts, it seemed like he's gone mm. uh, over the weekend. But we, we'll see. Things things change. Uh, drop the hat sometimes. And before we get to some uh, men's basketball talk, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about beer? What were you drinking uh, over the holiday weekend? Um, mostly uh, here in Connecticut, uh, mostly some two road stuff, uh, which I always like to dip into when I get up here. Um, had some of their uh, blueberry lemon doza, which was quite nice. Had some of their road jam, uh, which is a raspberry sour they have, which is very good. Uh, a couple others. I untapped is driving me crazy with this update they did, where like they're trying to like push people to do their like their uh, uh, <laughs> subscription service. Like, come on, guys. Get out. Um, yeah. And then right now, I'm currently drinking a Maku Korean rice beer that I don't know where this... I assume my brother bought it. I don't know how that made it its way into my parents' fridge, but uh, but that's what I'm drinking. It's, uh, it's very interesting. Very, very sweet. Uh, on my end, I had a bunch of different things. I had a celebration uh, from Sierra Nevada, as mentioned uh, last week. It's my uh, Thanksgiving go-to. Uh, I was down in Anaheim, so went to uh, Modern Times, Leisure Town, their, uh, their outdoor-centric tap room down there. At a Streganona, it was a uh, named after the book that many might be familiar with. Uh, it is a uh, grape ale, very very interesting. At a Protosphere, uh, it was an IPA from them. It's a five point seven percent hazy West Coast IPA, so pretty good there. I had a uh, Party Vipers, was an Imperial West Coast IPA that they made with the Tarantula Hill Brewing um, up in Thousand Oaks. Had a Doom Blade, was a Black IPA. Um, that they brewed earlier this year, and I missed the first time around. Uh, then I had a really, really good from them um, coffee IPA, probably the best coffee IPA I've ever had. It's called It Comes in Waves from Modern Times. And across the street from uh, the Anaheim Spot, it's actually Unsung Brewing, had their uh, Siegfrieda uh, Hell's Lager that was really enjoyable. And then um, over in Orange had a Chapman Crafted's uh, Scenic Root uh, West Coast IPA, which is another good selection. So. Nice variety. Very nice. Really mixed it up. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Yeah, we uh, we alluded to the the men's basketball team earlier. We'll talk a little bit about them here before we head out for uh, the week. Um, this team cannot play defense. This team is six deep at best, I think. But they did manage to outlast um, a turnover prone but um, high scoring uh, Indiana team. I think Indiana looked a lot more impressive on paper as a defensive unit um, going into this game than Syracuse did. And it was nice to see the Orange uh, be able to outlast them. Overall, 
strong effort from from the Bayheim brothers. Uh, but but it is kind of harrowing that we needed to we needed two overtimes to do this, especially when we were up sixteen at halftime, and 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 it was pretty easy for the Hoosiers to get back into this one. Yeah, I mean, we know the defense is not very good. Like that's not a secret. Bayheim said it pretty clearly last night. The numbers back it out. I mean, we saw the Colgate game. I will say. Um, I will say that I was impressed with how the team it had like in these some some of these games, a couple teams in Atlantis, uh, the Colgate game. Like when the game got away from them, they they really uh, I want to don't want to say folded. I don't think they like just collapsed like totally, but they they didn't seem to have um what it took in those games to really stop the bleeding and, and get things back right. And obviously in this game, like Indiana closed that sixteen point gap in what the first half of the second half, like the, I guess the third quarter of the game. Um, maybe it was like the eight minute mark or so when they tied it. Um, and, and to Syracuse's credit, they got back to work. They extended the lead back out to like seven. Um, it like they're going to put the game away for a second time. Uh, so, you know, I, I obviously then things got really fuzzy in the last minute, but I do think like this team showed some uh, kind of resiliency that we hadn't seen early in the season. Um, obviously the defense is going to be a major issue. Hopefully it comes along during the year. Um, because we do have kind of young players, uh, not necessarily young, but players that are not super familiar with it. Um, players that aren't really built super well for it. Cause you know, for all of the, and anyone who listening to this knows like for all of the stupid hand wringing about like the zone being like lazy defense or whatever, we know the Syracuse zone is so much better when you have really elite athletes and we do not have those this year. <laughs> um, we overall, we have some strappy shooters. We have Jesse Edwards, who I think is quietly slash not, I think he's like, the most important player on the team. I don't even think that's like a hot take at this point. Like, Hey, he's just really good. He's been the best. He's been the best center we've had since, since routine Christmas's senior year. Um, he's a legit scoring threat. He could rebound better for sure. He's a huge, um, huge threat uh, in terms of his shot blocking, which is like the one thing on our defense that's scary for teams. Um, so, and he was great last night again before he fouled out. Um, and he was about to play like all 40, I think if, you know, if he hadn't fouled out or all 50 or whatever it was, which is crazy to think. So aside from that, like, I think, you know, there's a chance that with more experience, the team gets better defensively to at least we're a point where it's not like one of the hundred worst in college basketball. Um, but we'll see. It's certainly not like a guarantee once we get into ACC play. Um, but also I, I was impressed uh, from the, that, the, the slightly deep bench dies that haven't been getting a lot of time. I thought Frank, obviously he hit the four free throws, but, he made some really big defensive plays too. Even when he kind of got beat, he had a couple steals. He had that one recovery in the corner. Um, I thought he played some really heady basketball, and I thought um, I thought Benny hung in there really well and did, did the same. Obviously, he hasn't quite had the like five star jump off the screen performances aside from his like one really nice dunker game. But um, I tweeted after the after the Auburn game, like I think we just need to play Benny a lot. Like I think he just needs to have developed on the fly because I don't think this team can possibly hit its ceiling without Benny being like a key contributor. And obviously Bayheim does what he does and he's only going to play the, you know, he said it pretty explicitly last night, guys who aren't helping aren't, you know, going to get the minutes. Um, I think we just need to force some minutes on Benny because I think, you know, there's only so much you can do when he's not just sitting playing time and we need to get him comfortable out there. Um, Cause that's like the one elite athlete we have. Uh, so Hopefully, the, his late game play, which was obviously imperfect, but still, you know, he, had, he made some big plays down the stretch. Hopefully, that instills some more confidence in Bayheim. Um, I'm not holding my breath, uh, but overall, like, I think there were some some good things to take away. Even if like it was pretty maddening uh, to watch them blow that game basically twice, 
because like Indiana might be pretty good. Uh, they were sitting over coming into the game. They didn't have any huge opponents. St. John's, I think, was their premier one before us. They hadn't left uh, the Assembly Hall yet uh, until last night. But I think there's a chance Indiana is like a solid Big Ten team. They have a great player in, in uh, Jackson Davis. Um, uh, I think it's it's you know too early to say that wasn't like a good win, even if it then kind of felt like a shoddy win based on how things played out. Uh, it, it's a potential bounce back win for now. And, and I think that that counts for something. Certainly. Uh, yeah. Which is positive. Yeah. I, I agree with you on Benny. I think that, that burying him is not a great look for the program, for, for, for Jim in terms of like getting his confidence up and, and, and just encouraging him to really like stick with it. Um, also recruiting other five stars. Like, obviously I don't think I'm kind of glad we're not doing the like guarantee someone to start and then pull them after three minutes. Like we did for a while there uh, with Christmas and, and, uh, and fab and some other five-star players, but like you need to give them an opportunity. Like, you know, I, I don't know what's happening in practice, but um, I just think like you're only hurting your own recruiting because like guys are going to see that. Even if like, even if he's clearly not ready to be like one of those center players, like give him 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. I mean, he got 19 last night and most of that was, uh, you know, foul related, I think. Yeah, getting to what was essentially a six-man rotation at best um, already this season. I mean, Buddy played all 50. Like, it, it's not a great – it's not that – like, they're, they're clearly good players. Like, Buddy having 27, Jimmy having 26, every one of those points was essential in a two-point double overtime win. But, like, we got severely out-rebounded when, when we have big guys, big athletic players on the bench for extended periods of time. Like, Jesse Edwards obviously is coming to his own. That's awesome. But, like – we need to get other guys involved. Like, you know, Cole Swider is still not hitting uh, field goals well, but he's hitting at the free throw line, and the whole team is really hitting well from the free throw line because we largely trot out a bunch of shooters um, the, the, the entire game. I think that th- th- there's got to be some different lineup permutations. I know you and I talked about this, you know, when the season started and before it even and, and, and weeks since. Like, it seemed like there were going to be a bunch of different lineup permutations, and it's just surprising how quickly we don't have any permutations anymore. And it's just like, let's go back to what we've been doing for the last four years, which is just let's run everybody and have, and rack up minutes for, for, for our top players, um, it, you know, in, in a fashion that no other program does. Um, I, I think that's a, I don't think it's a great way to attract talent long term. Um, I understand I'm not a Hall of Fame coach. Um, I, I'm not even doubting what Jim's doing right now. I'm more just saying, like, I, I don't think this. I don't think we fare well here long if, as a long-term strategy um, of just, you know, playing five guys 40 minutes. Yeah, and it's tough because, like, we hit this really tough stretch where, obviously, um, VCU, you know, was what it was, but, you know, they're not a pushover. They played UConn tough, too. Um, Auburn is was brutal for us. Um, and then Indiana, I think Jim really wanted to win that game. I don't really blame him for, for coaching to win that game explicitly. Um it's tough that we now have Florida State and Villanova back to back. Not the run that we, you know, usually are accustomed to uh, to getting guys ready. We really didn't have very much of a of a you know warm up. We had two pretty easy games, and then Colgate, which we got blindsided in. Um, so hopefully, in those Lehigh and Hornell games later this month, when we get past the Florida State Villanova Georgetown stretch, um, unless Georgetown's a walkover, which even when they're bad, they never are. They always play us tough. Um, hopefully, we can kind of bounce back and get something going uh, in terms of like allowing those guys to get some time. Um, and then even the ACC, I think we just need to find some spots. Hopefully we play well in some of these games out the gate and we can get guys minutes, but um, you know, time is, time is running out to like 
kind of have that development time that you would hope. And I just hope that we don't just collapse back into like a five and a half man rotation at this point. Yeah, it's not ideal. Um, I, I'm definitely a little, at least a little concerned. Um, and, and having to shoot, you know, 34 threes. I mean, I guess fine, you hit 13 of them, but still, like it's 38% is passable potentially, but it, it, it's not going to work every single time. Um, I, I think getting to the line the way they did is really what won that game. Um, and, and I think they have to find a way to strike the balance um, shooting wise. But they'll get there. I, I think it's still early. It, we, we knew that the beginning of the season might be a little bit tougher than normal because there's so little continuity year to year. Um, but I, I'm hopeful that things start coming together. Um, Dan, you mentioned some of the tough games coming up. Um, before our next episode, we got two of those um, at Florida State on Saturday and Villanova on Tuesday. Uh, do, do you think that Syracuse has any shot to win either of those games? Um, they could be Florida State. I don't think Florida State's great this year. They they had a tough one against Tulane. They had a tough one with Boston U. They got blown out by Purdue. You know, I, Florida State's always pretty good, but this Florida State team look, uh, looks pretty susceptible. Florida beat them pretty handily earlier in the year. So, I mean, they're not having like an appreciably better start than we are, to be honest. Um, so I guess that one's definitely more reasonable. Uh, beating Villanova would really like kind of, hey, I don't, I wouldn't know what to think. Like, I wouldn't know how we got to where we are if we beat Villanova. Um, uh, I hope we look competitive, uh, more competitive than we did against Auburn. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's really hard to project, uh, but I don't feel overly confident. But I think Florida State, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't write off at this point. Yeah, I mean, Florida State, 32nd in Ken Palm, they're 40th on offense, 32nd on defense. Um, in terms of efficiency, Nova, meanwhile, is 6th. Um, according to Ken Palm, third on offense, 48th on defense. Definitely not an ideal situation for us by any means. I know this would be, at least according to current Ken Palm ratings, Florida State and Villanova will mark the third and fourth top 40 teams we faced already. Yeah, we don't need to hear anything about our schedule this year. Like people, <laughs> I don't know if we've had like the Jot League tweets or whatever. Everyone needs to be quiet. I mean, granted, uh, I, I, I think... Until Pitt and BC decide to start playing basketball again, um, and, and, and look look away from last year's scores when I say that, um, <laughs> Pitt's ranked 200th uh, in Ken Palm this year. BC is is hanging around the uh, what is it the 130 mark. So yeah, I, ideally, you know, if those programs that we face twice a year every year um, were better, if the ACC uh, improved to like even 80 percent of what it normally has been in the last. 10 years before like two years ago, if that makes sense. Um, I, I think we don't need to schedule as tough necessarily, uh, but, but the current, this current state of things in the ACC and the current state of things with our, um, you know, twice a year permanent opponent, opponents force us uh, to schedule a little bit tougher now, um, in, you know, in, in this non-conference slate. Yeah. I mean, the ACC, who knows what's going on uh, Who's right now? Obviously the Big Ten is, really laid into, I think Syracuse is the first ACC win in, the, in this year's uh, challenge. So that's not great, but, um, and it's certainly probably not great for like the, the net rating type situation, but at the same time, the Syracuse team might just need to like get some confidence and get some easy wins. Like I think the fact they haven't really been as well baked into the uh, non-tournament schedule might, it might be of Syracuse's benefit to play like a slightly easier schedule and hope that it just kind of works out for the NCAA tournament. Cause like, you know, if we were just going to play the, the murderers row of ACC teams that from a couple of years ago, I don't know that we'd have much of a shot. Maybe we can actually like kind of develop something if we can face like, you know, a down wake team, a down Miami team, Pitt is terrible twice. BC's not very good. 
Um, we have Wake twice too, I think, and like I don't expect them to be great um, until the end of the year when things kind of ramp up again. So you know, hopefully, hopefully that is uh, that is you know to Syracuse's advantage this year. But it's gonna be tough, kind of tough to know until we get into it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, ultimately, like you do need to score a big win here and there, and we'll see if Indiana turns into one. We'll see if we can, you know, get one against Florida State here. But ultimately, like, you know, getting something on the road here against FSU would be nice. Um, I'm not predicting it, but in, in general, I'd like to see SU uh, be able to put together a few wins because when you have six, like you said, six wins against Pitt, Wake, and uh, BC potentially, like, it's not that those don't count for anything, but you do need to figure out the rest of the uh, of the resume. As we well know, if it comes down to where we're looking like we're on the on the bubble, like those will be prodded into very very heavily. Uh, so we need to get one of the we need definitely one or two of the big ones too. And you know, we we all know how this works out. Like we've been through it so many times. But yeah, I, I really outside of Duke, which looks really good, even though they lost to Ohio State last night, um, it's really tough to know with the the ACC. Are they the, are the only ranked team in the league right now? I think they are. Which is crazy, kind of kind of horrifying in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not looking at the top twenty-five. I'm just looking at the Ken Palm ratings and Duke I'm on the, the Google. Only... Yeah, I'm on the Google calendar, and like Dukes are, are only the only ACC ranked opponent. Also, missing someone. Delightful. Yeah, Duke seven, um, FSU's thirty-two, Notre Dame's forty-two, UNC's forty-nine, Virginia Tech's twenty-six. So they're close, um, at least Ken Palm wise. But yeah, Virginia's forty-seven. This isn't great. Yeah, I mean, nothing we can do about it. <laughs> it's like just set up, hope Syracuse and just yeah, play up there. And now we got more money because th- thank you, good people at Comcast. For... Yes, that was good news this week. That was good news. All of our all of our Philly brethren can finally watch uh, the games <laughs> since we're on ACC Network all the time. Um, although I feel like most of them in RSNs, which I think is also a problem for them. So, yeah, good, good. Um, that was actually like legitimately good news, and people in the Syracuse area too. Uh, I think were affected by that. So, oh, um, yeah. Comcast is a big carrier. Yeah, so you know, happy for everyone who was previously unable to watch like a huge swath of Syracuse teams. Uh, get that ACC network. Go uh, Packer and Durham and everything else. <laughs> All right, Dan. Anything else before we uh, we depart today? No. Uh, interested to to see how these next two play out. You know, hopefully they surprise us and. Use this Indiana game as a springboard, but uh, otherwise, uh, it's excited to get into the the meat of the schedule here and and forget about football for a little bit. I mean, signing day will be coming up, or the signing period will be coming up, and and also like hope springs eternal when those football hires will be made. We'll we'll talk ourselves into them, and everyone everyone will look great. So, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Well, on that note, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you everybody for listening to Trainings and Absolute Podcast. The great review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher. Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.